Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. Okay, here we go. All right, welcome back to Training for Manhood. This is Dan Panetti. I've got a good longtime friend, Dave Moore, uh, down in Austin. He's, a, uh, he's an author. He's a writer. Uh, he's done so many uh, amazing things, um, you know, just kind of in uh, the format of uh, training uh, men and women. Uh, anybody can read his books, right? <laughs> done a, done so. a lot of great teaching. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> hope everybody's buying them. Um, but he sent out um, something the other day I thought was really fascinating. And I, uh, I emailed him. I said, hey, I want to have this conversation. And it had to do with um, the qualifications versus the functions of being an elder. Um, and just as a young man, Dave, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't tell you this, but as a young man, when I was thinking about what it meant to be a man, I remember going to the Word of God. I remember opening up the Book of Timothy and, and looking at, um, and in my Bible, it actually literally says qualifications for overseers, right? And it, and it listed um, a number of qualifications for a person that you would put in a position of leadership in a church, an elder, right? And I just looked at this list and I said, hey, that's a great list. If God thinks that those things are important uh, for a man to be in a position of leadership in the church, that's probably a good list that you can kind of say, right? I should have a standard of looking at what is what does that mean for me as a man um, to be those particular things. And so when you put out this hey, you know, when we look at the qualifications, maybe we ought to look at the functions of the office as well. And I thought, oh, I've never even thought about that. So I wanted to have the conversation and just kind of see where this goes. So Dave, welcome to the program. Thanks, Dan. Great being with you. I love it. So where, where did this idea come from? Why, why the, uh, the qualifications? Are we missing something on that? Why the functions and what's the difference? Well, the, the difference really is more of a tactical one, a, a strategy one. And here's the background. So at the church I was at here in Austin for five years that I met you at, mm -hmm. uh, uh, we had uh, long conversations, largely unfruitful, frankly, about elder qualifications. Yep. And they always, they always went like this. Um, yes, these are in scripture, so therefore they're important. But how do you really measure if someone's hospitable, how do you really, someone doesn't have a pugnacious spirit, right? How do you really measure, you know, any of these qualifications are listed? So it always got to, it's kind of a crapshoot. Yeah, they're important, but what it just felt like liquid zinc, you know, kind of thing slipping through your hands. Like, <laughs> like how do we really yeah. know that we meet it, that qualification yeah it's it's pretty subjective it's not you know height and weight right and how right. fast you can run the 40 time so exactly yeah so 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 i i had some other churches after i left that church and uh we started this nonprofit two cities ministries in 1998 mm -hmm. and uh in conversations with other pastors and other churches we also had this this conversation about qualifications and they admitted to me that a similar thing had happened to them where it was just unfruitful. So one day I'm thinking about this. Um, this is probably late 90s, maybe early 2000s. And I thought, 
what if instead of the qualifications are extremely important and need to mm-hmm. be talked about. So let me just right. say that explicitly. But what if on the front end, instead of talking about qualifications, we talk about the functions of an elder? What does an elder do? Would there be more objectivity to it? And would it be easier to determine who is in fact qualified? And from that point, then look at qualifications. So if you look at Acts 6 and 1 Peter 5 together, Acts 6 says that the elders should give themselves to prayer and the word of God. And as you may know, the Puritans thought order, uh, Luke's order there was significant, that it's not obviously not that the word of God is unimportant, but they really put a primacy on men of prayer. Okay. So prayer and the word of God. And then 1 Peter 5 says, you know, people that are, that prove themselves to be an example. So for that to occur, the third thing, prove themselves to be an example as under shepherds, um, that means that they know people and the people know them and the people that know them want to emulate them and be like them. Um, frankly, at, at Grace, you know, the church I was at years ago, the elders knew that the body did not trust them. And so they decided what, what's a good way for the body to trust us, to know us better. We'll be greeters for a couple weeks. Oh, really? Thinking, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and okay. this is in the nineties. And I'm thinking what a disaster, you know, just like compensating with this kind of like, Oh, we're regular people. You can know us and stuff. Uh-huh. And on for like two or three weeks, greeter type thing. And then it went away and they went back to doing what they're doing. And no one changed their mind for the most part on, we don't know these guys, we don't trust them, et cetera. And so again, if you start, I think with those three functions, a lot of ambiguity is pulled away because then you kind of go, okay, these people that we're considering for the position of elder, are they men of prayer? And, and again, it's not a quantifiable thing, like how many minutes a day, but right. I think most of us feel comfortable when we get to know somebody. And this obviously, again, this predicates relationship again, right? The first Peter five reality. Yes. I know this person well enough and I've been with them enough and I've been with them enough to hear both things that have just come out normal in conversation They've also been eager to want to pray about things that I brought up right in the moment. Yep. Um, there are conversations laced with scripture, appropriate scripture in context, very thoughtful. They've helped me out some with some like really difficult questions, let's say, yep. from scripture. And so I think those things, if we look at those three, we go... Well, that's really kind of clear in the deck to then consider the qualifications. Yeah. So what would you say to a young man who wanted to develop those concepts um, in their life, right? So if we took those three functions, right, it seems like um, that those are three things that we can begin to put into practice in our life to say, right, if I want to be known as a man of prayer, if I want to be known, right, as a man of the word, um, and if I want to be known as somebody who other people can look at and say, hey, I want to emulate their life, um, those are things we can just simply put into practice and say, you know, right, Ian, Ian Bounds is one of my favorite authors on prayer. 
Um, and one of the things he talked about is, you know, reading about prayer is one thing, praying <laughs> right. is, actually, right. is actually the work, right? So I'm, I'm glad you're reading about prayer. I'm glad you're knowing more about prayer. But but the only way you get better at prayer is by praying. Sure. Um, and what would what'd you what would you say to a young man who wanted to develop his prayer life? You know, I, I think um, desperation, palpable desperation is a good motivation. Wow. Yeah. And um and so I, I have found, and, and this relates to both prayer and the word of God, that sure, there are people we can find, you, you know, you might know some, I probably know some of people that just are naturally, let's say, very curious and um, have a lot of bandwidth intellectually. And so they just naturally are trying to figure out things about whatever it is that they're involved in, including the Bible. Right. Most people are not like that. Right. And so there needs to be some kind of external motivation. And what I found, Dan, is that people that are involved regularly in ministry, where they have a conscious awareness that they are putting themselves in places that go beyond their natural resources, they are going to be people of prayer and the word of God. I, I have this carnal imagination uh, experiment. Uh, no one will take me up on it, but it's basically, I wish I could. I have a magic wand, let's say. Okay. And I get to randomly walk into churches and I wave this wand. And what the wand does is it forces everybody in the church to have to develop a really thoughtful, engaging, either message for the upcoming sermon and or they have to share the gospel with some of their immediate neighbors, right? Yeah, yeah. And then we have another like magical thing. We get to watch the difference between their prayer life and their engagement with scripture that week versus <laughs> the previous one. Right. When, then, when you actually he, don't have to do anything and you show up right. and, and listen to the pastor, right? And you're just, you're a consumer. So exactly. I don't really need God to do anything for me when I'm a consumer and, and somebody else is doing it. But when I've got to put myself out there, it's one of the reasons, Dave, you know, I've, I've been teaching a, you know, married adult, you know, Bible fellowship class since we've been up here. Um, but people ask me, you know, I've been doing it for 28 years and people are like, well, how do you, how do you have the time? And, you know, I mean, that's, that's, all, and I'm just like, here's the deal. Like if I were hundred percent honest with you, uh, the, the primary motivation is really selfish. Uh, the primary vote motivation for me is um, that when I have to get up every week and teach, it means that I have to get myself in the word every week. And it's not that I wouldn't otherwise, right? but it, it forces you. If you're going right. to stand in front of a group of people and you're going to open up the word of God and say, here's what it says, you've got to spend time in it that week. Right. And so it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like I, I, I get the benefit of it. Now, you know, do other people maybe get the benefit of, of listening to some of the things that I learned? And the answer is, I hope so. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I'll, yeah. tell you, I'll tell you who really got the benefit that week. And that was me because I had to spend time in the word. And exactly. I think you're right. It's that um, if there's no desperation uh, for prayer or for the word of God, if there's no necessity for it, if there's nothing that drives you for it, nothing that pushes you, nothing that forces you to you know, take the sponge and wring it out, it'll never fill up. Right. Yeah. I think that's that's the reality of it is, you know, there's a lot of people who are dry sponges, right? Because, you know, they never get used for anything. So they never have to fill themselves up with the word of God. They never have to cry out to God for help and say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. Because a lot of a lot of life, unfortunately, people can do on their own. Yes. So I, I, I kind of see where you're going with it. I, I love that idea. It's like, 
that's why, you know, training for manhood, that the name of the podcast is really that idea of manhood is a, is a process that you have to do. This isn't a conversation about what it looks like, what it, what it could be, what it should be. It's, it's a process to give you tools and tips to say, hey, guess what you're doing this week? And, and prayer, guess what you're doing this week, right? You need to be praying. Well, what am I praying about? Well, there's a great question. Because <laughs> if you don't have anything to be praying about, if you don't have anybody to be praying for, if you don't have anything that you're looking for God to do, then right, you don't need to spend, spend time in prayer. God doesn't need to do anything. And that would be the great first question, right? Do you expect God to do anything? Or are you perfectly fine, right? Walking into, let's say, walking into a church service and then walking out the same way. Um, I kind of relate it to, you know, you walk into a gym, uh, you pay a bunch of money to be a member of a gym, you walk in and you walk out and you're exactly the same, right? You haven't put on any muscle, you haven't lost any weight, right? I mean, and if you did that for 10 years, people would look at you and be like, that's a complete waste of your time and money. Right. And I'm like, but we're, but we're perfectly fine with that going to church for 10 years and being exactly the same, right? We're, we're just as impatient. We're just as anxious. We know you know, as little about the Bible, you know, that we, that we knew 10 years ago, we haven't developed anymore because it's that same mentality. So, I I mean, I I like, I like what you're doing. I like what you're pushing on there. That's good stuff. I mean, it's like a a good, a good example or good diagnostic is, you know, you could go to a lot of so-called Bible believing Christians Mm -hmm. and ask the question, um, so do you believe the Bible is the word of God? Well, yes. And then a couple, really almost the next question of why then becomes immensely unsettling. Like why these books? Didn't powerful bishops in the third or fourth century determine this? Didn't they ramrod it? What about the Gnostic gospels? You know, what, what about what the Apocrypha? What about this? What about that? Why these 66 books? And that, those kind of questions, as you all know from teaching worldview and interaction with non-Christians, if you're interacting regularly with non-Christians, that question's going to come up. Yes. It's just going to come up. And you're either going to stop sharing your faith, which some do, I guess, yep. or you're going to go, I'll, I need to find an answer to that because the idea of going back over and over and over again to non-Christians and putting yourself out and keep going to yourself. I know there's answers to this. I know the answers is accessible. I need to be curious enough to find out what the answers are. Yep. So um, I think that belies, you know, there's all kinds of, I'm sure you've read a lot of them, the polling data, whether it's from Pew or Barna or Gallup or whatever, um, of just the the lack of literacy in the scriptures, but there's just a lack of literacy in just the whole Christian faith, I would say, you know, <laughs> and so, but there's not, an, again, I mentioned the, you know, the palpable desperation. There's not, what's the need of finding out why these 66 books get bound together in the modern day equivalent of a codex and say, that's what we're calling the word of God. No other books. We're privileging these 66 books. Why would I feel the need to really know that if no one's really pushing on it? And right. I can just carry my magical book, maybe read it periodically as a patchwork quilt, like I need a little inspiration. So I, 
I'll either go to Philippians or the Psalms, you know, popular places to go, Yep. pick a verse, go on my way. But the reality, and this is, you've already said this, I think explicitly is that if I don't really feel like I need God, I can kind of be successful as I deem success in my own life. Yep. Then why not, you know, just keep living the way I'm living and, and, and shove off of those other things, you know? Yep. So, yeah, I think in, even in reading scripture, what I found to be super helpful um, is finding friends uh, that don't know anything about the scriptures um, mm. and just saying, hey, listen, whatever, whatever question you have, ask me. Um, and it's amazing because if you, you know, for, for a lot of us as Christians, we came to Christ, the normal, right, concept, right? I think, you know, overwhelmingly is um, most Christians that I know um, came to Christ at a young age. And so mm-hmm. they were raised in the church and they're very familiar with things and they, you know, they, they're familiar enough with their Bible. Maybe they haven't, you know, read all of it, but they're familiar enough, right? If I said, you know, turn to a particular book, they know where to go. They know the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. And so sometimes we get um, overly familiar with the stories. Mm-hmm. And I've got a couple of friends that are, you know, brand new believers, just, you know, they've never been in the word and they, they came to Christ later in life. And so this, the questions that they ask about, you know, things in scripture are just, to me, they're hilarious because they're like, oh my goodness, I, I would never ask that question. Like, what, what, do you, what do you mean by that? But to them, it's like, well, wait a second, you know, I mean, and, and you know, one of, one of the main ones I love is, you know, um, you know, why, why is uh, Abraham, you know, putting his son on an altar and he's going to kill him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, wait, 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 where, where's this story coming from and everything? And it's, it's so funny when you see a lot of scripture not through my lens of, yeah, I've heard it before and it makes sense. And here's kind of, you know, where it fits, but from the lens of somebody who's really trying to understand it and doesn't have that background. And then it makes you ask questions that you would not normally ask. And I think that's one of the things that, that you're kind of, you know, saying to people is uh, when you put yourself in a position that you're around people that aren't like you and aren't asking all the same questions, then it forces you to go and really do the reading and the research. And it forces you again, then to prayer, right? To, to the idea of saying, Hey God, you got to help me with this. Uh, help yeah. me understand these things so that I can communicate them clearly. Um, and then it becomes a much different journey that it's not just all about me, but I'm just a funnel through which things go out to. Um, right. And if I'm funneling out the word of God to different people, then I've got to be equipped with a lot of different things that may not be my interest, um, but they're going to be the interest of people that I'm I'm running into. They're going to be questions that people have that I'm like, well, you know, that's not really a big stumbling block for me. But if it is for you, let's figure out an answer to it. And then you find yourself exploring and learning about things that you'd never thought of before, which I think right. is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I think the motivation too, like where you know, I I I've had this conversation. I mean, eyeball to eyeball, and also. Other people have told me about their own experiences with pastors uh, where pastors have said, people that are functioning as pastors, I'm not a people person. Yes. I'm not, I'm not a man <laughs> of compassion. I mean, I heard that recently from oh. one class that I sent out on my email thing. A woman wrote me and said her pastor made it really clear that he, he struggles with compassion. And so you kind of go where along the way did it get broken with this idea that a minister 
could just do certain kind of functions, but kind of give himself a pass on other things. I mean, I know pastors who said, I'm coming, I'm going to fill the pulpit. That's mainly what I'm going to do. Don't expect me to do any other things. So, and one thing, I guess, on one hand, you can say it's admirable that they were at least candid, that they weren't going to do other stuff. On the other right. hand, it's no, that's not a pastor. And, and so the idea of being an example, you know, Paul's talk, or Peter, sorry, is talking about, you know, elders under shepherds, and there's only one chief shepherd, Jesus. And, and interesting, even describes himself, not as a chief shepherd, but as another under shepherd. And, you know, we think about Peter exhorting there in first Peter five, he exhorts from the standpoint of I'm a fellow under shepherd, you know, I'm, I'm no big deal, basically, plurality of, of leadership. So there's a lot, I I think, you know, if we were to talk about, and I don't know if you want to go down this road, but I, I do think, um, I'm probably going to do something pretty soon on this, the age of specialization that kicks in in the late. Uh, 20th century, you know, Johns Hopkins is the first university with separate departments that all have specialized things going on. And, you know, if you look at the genesis of modifiers on pastor, senior, associate, youth, music, executive, out the discipleship, evangelism, et cetera, we just don't think, oh, that's weird. But this gets back to the qualifications thing, because in our mind, we're thinking, Oh, a youth pastor, if he doesn't, if he's not like a really big time person of prayer, well, that's okay. As long as the kids like him, you know, if he doesn't know the word of God, like a theologian, we might say kind of derisively, that's okay because the kids love him. Or if we think about the executive pastor and we go, can the executive pastor do a good job at the hospital, you know, encouraging people from God's word or preach? We go, no, not really, but he's great keeping the finances together. Yeah. So what we've allowed is the very thing that Lewis talks about with gentlemen, that you know that when you add a modifier to gentlemen, he's a real gentleman. He's a true gentleman. He's a gentleman in the truest sense. Lewis says, you know, you know, then that the word gentleman is falling into disuse. You're starting to kill the word. And I think those modifiers belie this problem we're talking about because we got the specialization. So then we think, oh, well, is this pastor of, you know, evangelism, let's say. No, he's a great evangelist. He's great with non-Christians. No, he's not really what do we call a person of prayer, and he's great around non-Christians, but other people he's kind of prickly and difficult to deal with because he's kind of a, you know, patent kind of figure and he kind of take the hill kind of guy. So yeah. he's great. You know, he's got these gifts of evangelism. So we're thinking of he's uppercase, the evangelism, and then pastors kind of like lowercase, like we almost say it as a hushed word. And then we completely lost that pastors or elders and they should function that we should see these three things going on. So we've got, I mean, we've got kind of a crisis there on so many levels that, that, um, 
sorry, if you hear my dog, he's kind of uh, moaning here a little bit periodically to kind of add emphasis maybe to what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, he's right there with us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Preach it, Dave. <laughs> now, I, I like the, it, it, it's interesting, right? Because the, the qualifications, there's a number of qualifications. Um, and if anybody wants to read them, right, I'll put them in the show notes of First Timothy 3. Um, but I like, in a sense, right, the simplicity of the functions, um, because it's it's the, you know, you, you'll you'll qualify with these things if you are a man of prayer, if you are a man of, you know, the word, uh, and if you are seen as somebody who is um, engaged in such a way that people begin to, you know, emu emulate your life and say, hey, that's the guy who's who's doing it, right? You're actually, you're actually walking it out. And so, um, I mean, I, I like that, that concept. It kind of gives um, a young man something to kind of begin to look at and say, okay, so um, I don't have to necessarily focus on each of the qualifications. I need to just focus on my life like living this thing out, right? Walking this thing out. And then uh, you may go back and say, okay, you know, above reproach, a husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, right? You know, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent. Right, those are, those are great things to, you know, be reminded of. Uh, but how do you get to each of those things? Well, you're a man of prayer, right? You're a man of the word um, and you're in a community, right? Where you're following an older man who's pouring into you and you've got some younger men that you're pouring into and these things are going to happen right they're they're naturally going to happen as, as part of that exposure um to this you know this way of, of walking out and living your christian life yeah yeah and i think that's well said i agree i mean i think that it does make it again tactically or strategically like i said on the front end not only i think easier to have conversations in existing churches that have elders, but also with young men that, yeah. and the Bible says it's noble to aspire to the work of an overseer, not because overseers have all the power, kind of in a punt to Foucault or some of these other guys, like powers everything. Right. Rather, because it's, it's being a true elder is a life of service and sacrifice. And that's yeah. what's noble is to aspire to want to give my life away. And so um, there's, you know, I think there's a lot, I think what we're hitting on too, as far as one of the subtexts here, Dan, is that I, I think, you know, years ago, a guy that had a big impact on me and a bunch of other people said that all good discipleship is usually undoing some bad discipleship. Oh. And so I think there's almost a reclamation project going on with what we're talking about. Because I think we're so far afield with what I see in churches, so far afield from really being keenly uh, aware and caring enough and being courageous enough and, and patient enough too. a lot of moving parts there of saying, wow, we really don't have people like this. We haven't yeah. clarified that this is this is really what it's all about. So we congratulate ourselves for being so biblical, but a lot of times it's more pragmatic than biblical. You know, the way we're picking, the way we're choosing, who we think really is qualified. I mean, it, it, it should be very, very clear in our mind that again, those three things are, that that's, that's what an elder is doing. That's how they're functioning. And um, I think usually most people, if you ask those questions, hey, do you know, do you think it's difficult to deduce, is this person 
a person of prayer, the word of God, and an example to others, I think most people have a, a, a pretty clear sense when they see that and they yep. go, yeah, I, I aspire to be like Joe over here. And here's the reasons why I've seen him in his marriage, his kids. I know his business dealings enough, uh, the way he's responded to needs of mine, how quick he is to, again, offer prayer or some insight from the word of God. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's rocket science in a sense to deduce who that is. I think we've actually lost what is the proper reference point. So we're just flailing around with all the, oh, this guy's good. He's available. He's, he's a good guy. He's a team player. He, we use all the stuff that, you know, maybe sure that, that obviously you want to have team players if it's team leadership biblically, but it's like, we've kind of gotten off looking at, well, what should we look at as a primary, as primary things and then move from there? Yeah, well, I, I appreciate the conversation, and I think it's helpful um, as, as guys are listening to it and, and um, beginning to think, right, and you just said, right, aspiring to the office of an elder is a no, noble aspiration. And I think just as a young man, um, it's a great place to start, you know, looking at the Word of God and saying, what does that mean, right? But I, I love how you bring it back and just say, well, what are the functions, right? What are the things that you need to be doing? Um, and, uh, and are you doing those things? Cause if you're doing them right, then the rest of this stuff is going to follow. So I'll put in the, uh, the show notes, uh, a link to your ministry so people can find out a little bit more about two cities ministries. So keep Thank up you. the good work there. And, uh, Thank I appreciate you, the, the time and the conversation with you today, Dave. Thanks Dan. Great being with you. All right. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to training for manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.